It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Saturday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. A special one because we are determined to not fall behind. We got to bring you five a week. We're bringing you five a week. We missed Tuesday. We're here on Saturday. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means going to keep it breezy. Now it's kind of like homework, Nathan, the last three days. I like when we do stuff like that. We dumped about five hours of Ohio State Michigan podcasting on people's heads in April. And I think maybe they liked it. And I also maybe they feel like, oh, I don't want to think about that anymore right now. So that's not what we're doing today. We need a break, right? We do need a break. This is like a it's like a palate cleanser. It's like you just had a it's just like you just ate a big juicy steak or three of them if you can afford it. And now this is like the after dinner uh, just the, the little palate cleanser between courses. I don't know what course you're eating after three steaks, but we'll ask Dewan Jones next time we talk to him. Bunch of Pepto Bismol. Just a big helping Pops. of Pepto Bismol. Yeah. This, this is the best so. Pepto Bismol pod. Yeah. It's Pod to Bismol. Steak, steak binds you up, right? And then Pepto, I think actually you went when something else doesn't stay. Anyway, we don't have to talk about that. What does steak do to your digestive system here on Buckeye Talk? So so what you do after after you eat steak three nights in a row is you go get a ice cream cone at McDonald's if the ice cream machine's not broken. That's what you do. It's like, I just ate a steak, and now I want a 99-cent cone. So this is your 99-cent cone. We have rapid fire from the tech subscribers, and we're going to get to the first one right now. The last question, they're only doing six topics. The last one is about an Ohio State-Michigan national title game that somebody has an opinion on that we'll get back into that a little bit. It's a little bit of a steak sprinkle on your ice cream cone. But the rest of this is football stuff, although we do have to talk about Brian Hartline. I would like to know if any one player stood out to any of you in the spring game. That's from the 9-3-7. We did do a post-game spring game pod. We did a Monday Madness of the spring game pod, but it's still fun to go back and like think about these things. Spring games are still going on. Bama, LSU, Washington, Oregon State, they will be on Saturday. Some other schools like Oregon still hasn't had theirs yet. You know, Ohio State had theirs last week with Georgia and Florida State and Texas and Tennessee and Penn State, a bunch of other schools. So just a reminder, Nathan, who did you really like who stood out to you in the spring game? So the more I uh, rewatch it, and I, I, I had these thoughts that day, and we talked about it that day, but... I was really impressed with what I saw from CJ Hicks that day. It's something that's been coming all spring. He obviously had an opportunity in that game that was 
magnified because Steel Chambers couldn't play. But I think we saw from the usage of some other veterans in that game that Steel Chambers wouldn't have played a lot anyway. It would have been a big C.J. Hicks day at, at Will Linebacker. And I thought he played well. I thought he was physical where he needed to be. I thought you saw him showing off some coverage skills that would be important in that position. And so I'm intrigued by now what they're able to do with him and what how much more he's able to grow in terms of a role for this fall. They've already said they're open to Cody Simon playing more because they wanted to, Jim Knowles said that, wanted to alleviate the load that was on the two starting linebackers. And I'm open to CJ Hicks uh, warming his way in there too, because uh, I think he's the better fit at will over Cody Simon. I think Cody Simon's a better Mike linebacker fit. And if it makes your team better, even if it is a secondary role, but the same logic would apply as far as alleviating some of that load on steel chambers and also letting a guy take that next step in, in his growth to what you think is going to be a big, big role next year. I like that because it's difficult, Steven, right? Like we just, we, we know the Sonny Styles path. Every time we talk about Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks in conjunction with each other, it's that CJ sticks Hicks doesn't have as, as obvious a path. Did you think Steven that, what he did this spring is approaching. Got to get him on the field at least some of the time. That area with CJ. I don't know if it's quite there yet because of the guy who's keeping him off of the field right now. But I did feel a lot comfortable with where it's headed. And if we're there, and I can see myself getting there in the fall, where it's like that guy's still doing stuff. Get him on the field. But I do think that. It's still different, the two paths, just because I think Steel Chambers, not just the established part, but Steel Chambers had a really good spring as well before he went down with whatever the foot or ankle injury he suffered. So it's not quite that level, but if Steel Chambers didn't exist and C.J. Hicks was just on the normal, oh, five-star year two, you should probably get on the field, I think we'd all feel pretty confident with C.J. Hicks being the starting linebacker. So I like that C.J. Hicks pick. Steven, who do you want to talk about that you thought stood out? Um, I'll say, I'll let you take Sonny Styles if you want to take that one. Cause I just think we, we talk about Sonny all the time. I'm not, Can't, I'm not going to take okay, Sonny, cool. but go ahead. Okay. I'm not going to take him either. Cause I think we, we know the deal. Uh, just the world got to see it. I'm going to take Cameron Martinez. I thought he had a very good back half of the spring and it seems like it's starting to click for him in year four and whether it was the spring game and I'm just going to go back to the last time we were in practice and he had the pick six on Kyle McCoy when we were in there. I thought that I don't know. It, it's still a battle with him and Jahad Carter. It feels like at that nickel safety spot, but I don't. I'm not leaning towards the the guy they brought in and the idea of they didn't bring this guy in as a transfer who's had this much experience to sit. I'm not leaning towards that as much as maybe I would have with some guys in the past anymore because I feel like Cameron Martinez is well on his way to locking down that spot if he continues on the path he was on. And I saw a little bit more of that during the spring game. So this reminds me of guys who sometimes you have moments that aren't great at points in your career. Yeah. And then when you're all the way ready to go, then you're great. Gary on Conley is the guy that I bring up all the time in that situation. He had, he had a couple rough moments and then he became a first round pick. So this idea of what Cam Martinez can be, he remains in the good football player conversation, Nathan, mm -hmm. that, I like having that conversation about Chip Tranum. I like having that conversation about Xavier Johnson. But Cam Martinez, who was a high school quarterback, becomes like more real because this is Chip and Xavier are like, hey, they can help you out, but where are they going to go? Cam Martinez is in line to start. 
And again, this idea of all those skills, just I think really good football acumen, some good short area quickness, just some football intelligence, footballness. If it hits, if it hits, if it hits, I think it can really help them. But at the moment, Nathan, we got Cornelius Johnson coming in motion and running at him, and there's a 75-yard touchdown. But one play yeah. does not define you. And this, I, I think there's upside still, right? You talked to Jihad Carter. We're recording this on Friday morning. You talked to Jihad Carter on Thursday night, and you can talk a little bit about this. That's that battle for that nickel safety spot. But and and Jihad Carter is a very experienced transfer from Syracuse. But man, I, I as much as Cam is no is not young, he's entering year four. I still think there's upside there potentially. So if you see a guy showing upside, I, I think there's a chance there, Nathan. But Jihad Carter also is in that battle. Yeah, I was talking to Jihad Carter mostly for hair tips. I don't know if you guys have seen him just walking around, or if our listeners have without a helmet on. But he's got hair that like twists and swirls and spirals around. And I'm thinking by opening day, if I let my hair go for the next five months, I I think I've got a shot. So we'll see how that goes. Good luck. Um, (laughs) He says he's been growing his for about three years. Uh, uh, And and he hasn't had a chance to explore Columbus, but he really liked visiting the zoo and he hopes to go back. Um, Oh, the zoo is awesome. Oh, now I want to go to the zoo with Jihad Carter. I'm excited that he likes the zoo. Yeah, we should do. We can maybe we get like a zoo-related pod, like a, um, a animal of the week with with Jihad Carter. Um, but uh, by the way, he said that mostly the reason he didn't play in the spring game, he called it precautionary. We were kind of getting that vibe from Ryan Day anyway that maybe he could play, maybe he couldn't. They decided to hold him out. He doesn't think whatever that that tweet that we saw uh, in practice for the student appreciation day is going to be a long-term thing. But I I agree that I think we saw good things from Cam Martinez this spring. It's also become a position, though, where I'm not 100% sure how to read who they want there. And it it is going to depend a little bit. Like, I think if if on opening day, the team that they're playing, if Indiana were to come out in 12 personnel, I think the starting nickel safety is Sonny Styles. I agree. Because we've seen a and, lot of big nickel stuff. Because that, that's what he was sort of doing against Georgia. That's what they had him doing sort of yeah. in the spring game. Like, I, I mm-hmm. almost think that that's like the guarantee of how Sonny Styles definitely gets on the field this fall is he's the nickel safety against 12 personnel. So what does that mean for – because then Jim Knowles is also talking about how much time they're giving backup corners time at nickel safety to both to at build some depth but also give them some more reps, give them on the field in a different way. And – I, I think Cam Martinez is the guy who sort of straddles that line because he's had some cornerback experience himself. He's got a more versatile, as you're saying, athletic profile. Could he be the one that, because of all those different factors, filters to the top, and it's just sort of naturally his time to take it? I, I think that's there. It's, I'm just also open to getting back around this team in the fall and getting eyes on them and finding out that after the spring and through whatever they find out in the offseason, maybe they've reimagined that position in some way. So yeah, that position is very different. If you're if it's two tight ends and you have more tight end responsibility, or if it's three receivers and you have more receiver responsibility, you require a different skill set there. So options there. We'll be curious to see how that goes. I'm just going to pick Denzel Burke because I thought Denzel Burke all spring people seem to be talking about him, and I thought he looked in the spring game like a number one corner. And so it's nice to have depth in that room, but I think it's also nice to have a guy who looks like a dude and. 
Ohio State needs a dude at corner, and I think maybe he's risen up uh, to expect that from him. And and again, he he just attributes it to health, but I think he's just playing. He feels locked in mentally. We know he's healthy physically, and then when he's that, he can be aggressive and he can break on balls and he can do all those things. And so, as much as they talked about all the corners getting their hands on balls this spring, I think that conversation, if you're having that conversation, has to start with the number one guy in the room, and that's him. So he has a chance to have a a really impactful Ohio State career here as a three-year starter at corner if he plays this third year and goes to the NFL. If he winds up a four-year starter at corner, I don't even know if that's happened before. I mean, it's one thing to be like a four-year starter. Four-year starter at corner? It's hard, man. So anyway, I just I think Denzel Burke rose to that challenge, Stephen. And it's again, it's obvious, but was was good. We know the the issues last year, and now if he's going to be even better, it it sets the tone. Because once you have a guy at the top of a room, it lets everybody else slot in place. You're not asking Jordan Hancock to be the best corner. You're not asking Davis and Igby Nosen to come here as a transfer and be the best corner, because Denzel Burke's going to be that. It's the fact that he keeps saying, I'm healthy. It's like, hey, Denzel, why are you playing? But I'm healthy. Like It's not technique-driven or a lack of talent or any of that. It's just, I'm healthy, so I can play good football. I like that. I, th- I think that's a good sign of things because you can't always control health, but you can control a lot of that other stuff. So if it is just simply, hey, the corners are back and they're going to start playing at that quote-unquote BIA standard again, it's because they're healthy, starting with Denzel Burke. That's a good thing that heading into the summer where you want that cornerback room to be because they can build on that heading into the fall. What do you think of Denzel in this conversation, Nathan? No, I, I agree. I think that's a good pick because it – we, we we needed to see this spring that that level of confidence from guys who are going to need to be leaders, guys who are going to need to be the um, sort of the attitude deliverers on this defense. The guys who, as much as we are intrigued by some young guys on this defense, even they are probably looking to veteran guys who are taking care of their job and and playing with that sort of of certainty that, that, that sort of self-assured play. And I think that's, that that's the best description of what you saw from Denzel Burke was like, it was almost like someone who lost something, something intangible and then woke up with it, with had it back and now was like eager to use it. And, and he was just applying that all spring. All right, let's move to our next topic. We're doing six quickies. This is interesting from the four four row. What is one thing you would each change about Ohio State's football program. Not something like add a five-star offensive tackle, more structurally. What's one thing that would make the program better? Nathan, this is super interesting, and we could all go a million different ways here. And then I have my real answer. Well, I have my, my real answer is my cop-out answer, and I'll give that last, but then I made myself come up with a different answer. So what's your real answer, Nathan? Well, my real answer is one that we've talked about several times, and it may be about to become a temporary answer if NCAA rule changes, but I just think that they made a mistake with the way that they set up the coaching staff. I, I just do. Like, I don't understand why they handicapped themselves with uh, fewer defensive coaches. Um, I, 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 It's not really a slam on the job Parker Fleming is doing. It doesn't have anything to do with that to some extent. Although if you are going to make those changes, you better not have some of the issues they've had on special teams. So anyway, we've litigated a lot of that. There was a whole podcast dedicated to it. It was very good. People should go back and listen to it uh, with Doug and, and Parker Fleming interview. But 
that's when I almost wonder if we're going to look back on this window and say, boy, Ohio State was poised to do this and, and maybe break through and defense held them back. And they also knowingly and and intentionally structured their coaching staff this way to have less defensive coaches, less true defensive coaches out recruiting, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's a mistake. I've thought it was a mistake since they did it, and they've had to try to overcome it ever since then. I'm in that range on mine. I'll, I'll just do mine real quick because it's kind of related. I think it is talking about the offensive coaching staff. I wish they had some more outside influence on the offensive coaching staff because right now that offensive coaching staff, Ryan Day is the head coach, Justin Fry, who's somebody that Ryan Day has known and coached with and came from UCLA where he was with Chip Kelly, who's Ryan Day's mentor. And then it's Keenan Bailey and Corey Dennis, who Ryan Day is very close to because they grew up in this system, right, with Ryan Day. And I'll throw Parker Fleming, who's a special teams coach, but also grew up in this system as sort of like a, a hire from down the hall. And Brian Hartline, who's the offensive coordinator. And, and again, like was here when Ryan Day got here. Ryan Day's known him from the beginning. And that is a very familiar group. And there's positives to that. And But I also think you need fresh ideas. And Tony Alford's been here a long time too and has worked with, with Ryan Day from the jump. And so... Ryan Day knows a lot about offense. I like outside I like I like outside hires. Like where's the Perry Eliano of the offensive staff? That kind of thing. Where's the guy who, hey, why is he here? Because he did a really good job where he was before and he was ready for another jump. And it's not because like you knew him or were intimately associated with him. And so I don't, you know, Tim Walton, I know he's an alum of Ohio State. But again, that's just a guy who was like doing his thing in the NFL for a long time. So I just uh, – that's not how I would structure the offense. I would like more different ideas. And it doesn't mean I think the offense is – I'm not saying I don't think the offense is going to be good. But, man, you got to stay fresh. you got to stay on top of it. And I just think they need to be careful with that idea. So I'm I'm in the same range, Nathan. It's just sort of like – one or like a hire, one different hire, one, one move, like bring in this other guy. Like that's really, so I just, anyway, Steven, what did you have for this? I'm actually in the same range as Nathan, just a different approach to it. Um, I would make Ryan day be in charge of special teams as the head coach. Urban Meyer did it. And it, I mean, it allows you like that can just be your focus. That means you can bring in another assistant coach to do something else. Literally. On defense, or it can be a fresh ideas guy on offense, but you can just use that other spot for somebody else because the head coach is just going to take care of the special teams. It's a great way for him to stay engaged with maybe the the younger players and some of the guys who are lower on the depth chart and keep an eye on those guys in a way that maybe you don't have to as much because you're trying to look at a million different other things. But, you know, they do punt period, the first period and a half, and then at some point they're going to do a kick – kickoff period, maybe somewhere in the middle. Those are just like when Ryan Day's voice is the loudest in terms of like execution and stuff like that. It allows him to still kind of during the other periods, work his way around and see what other stuff is doing because outside of those periods, the specialists are just off on their own doing stuff, but it gives something else, Ryan Day something else to focus on because you're giving up something very, very significant this year. And 
you got to replace it with something. You can you can place it in bits with other different things, but this is a great way to replace that while also finding a way to use a spot on your assistant coaching staff in a more valuable and productive way. I don't think I want Ryan Day coaching special teams. I would just divide it up among the other guys, but we're all kind of in the same range here of like, how do you use your resources on the coaching staff the most effective way? And I don't think we have, we don't have like definitive proof that they're doing it wrong. But I think all three of us have questions slash about maybe they're doing it wrong. So my other answer on this, my cop-out answer was I actually don't want them to change much of anything because the whole thing about Ohio State that we say on this podcast a million times is they want to be everything. They're a Southern football program in a Northern football place. They're a win-at-all-costs program in a conference that acts like it's ready to go Division Three at any moment. They want to talk about academics, but they also want to beat Alabama and NIL for a five-star safety. And there's a part of me that I think you could say, like, pick a side. Like, what do you wish would change? Decide who you want to be. Are you going to pull back a little bit and then just not bang your head against the wall if you lose to Georgia? Because it's like, hey, man, which to me is more like Michigan. I don't think Michigan's banging its head against the wall. Now, we also talked about, like, well, when you're that close, maybe the next – Next time, if Alabama, if Michigan gets to a playoff and doesn't win, maybe they will be. So you pull back and be that, or you just say, who cares about anything else? All that matters is winning football games. We're not worried about any other team. We're going to shrink our athletic department. We're going to go, you know, put everything into NIL. And we're not worried about like how many boys and girls club appearances people have. We're just doing this. But I actually don't want them to do that, Nathan, because I think it's super interesting that they try to have it all in a way that very few places do. So as a fan, I think you maybe could have frustration with that at times. And maybe this is probably a survey we should ask. Do you want them to still always try to be everything to everyone? Or would you like them to lean? And if they were going to lean, which way would you rather lean? Would you rather lean towards Bama, Georgia? Or would you rather lean towards Michigan? And I don't know where our... Text survey on leans. But I think some people, there would be some portion of people, Nathan, that would be like, why give anything up? Because they navigate it pretty well. Because you can maybe still stand up and say, well, we're not like you when it comes to Bama or Georgia. But you can stand up and say, but we'll play on the field and take our shot and have a chance to win. So I was going to dance there, Nathan, but then I decided, no, I I actually don't want that to change. Well, I think the original answer that all three of us gave, though, is an indication that we we don't necessarily think that that's the wrong approach that they're they're that they shouldn't try to be everything it's just that when you're doing it and especially when you're doing it from the north you have to be super efficient like you you have less room for error and you can't self-inflict mistakes or self-inflict just kind of wasted opportunity and i, I we were all looking at this coaching staff alignment Again, not even really the job that these guys are doing and, and who they are as coaches and how successful they can be in their roles at other places. But we're looking, each of us have looked at this and said, is this the alignment that maximizes what Ohio State can be with its resources and with the high standards that it is trying to reach with them? Okay. We have to talk about spring football. We have to talk about Brian Hartline, and we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So we got a question about spring football in Ohio, and we're not going to pretend that we are experts about this, but I'm going to read you something about what's changed in Ohio high school sports with spring football. And also we heard Brian Hartline having a discussion with high school coaches at the coaching clinic of like, we need you to do spring football more. So that can factor into this. From the 404, how big of a disadvantage is it to Ohio prospects to have no spring football, seven on seven, et cetera? I'm in Georgia where they have it. So what Ohio high school football has done is they are allowing high school coaches to coach their football players in limited activities, limited activities in May. It used to be you couldn't do that till June. So it's not full pads. It's just helmets. But you can do stuff on May 15th this year and have seven on seven. And that's new for Ohio. That is a change. It is not all the way to full spring football. And the Ohio State coaches have been saying this for a decade plus. Urban Meyer wanted real spring football in Ohio. Ryan Day wants real spring football in Ohio. They want it for themselves because they think it it develops Ohio high school football players to a greater degree, gives them more opportunities to sort of get a handle on those guys before their senior year in the fall, because it's just more stuff. But also they do believe that it raises the level of play in Ohio, which is good for those kids and getting scholarships, not just to Ohio State, but everywhere else. But they're not all the way there yet. And I don't know, Stephen, if they're going to get there. Ohio State coaches have been pushing for this for a long time. This is not a new conversation. This was a small step for Ohio to do this. But Brian Hartline was asking high school coaches at the clinic, like, how many of you are doing this? Raise your hand if you're doing it. And then he said, if you're not doing it, why not? And now it gets into a different discussion. Is this a complicated discussion, Stephen, about spring football in Ohio. It's the norm where it's warm. Hey, I feel like that could apply. It's the norm where it's warm. It's the norm. So, I got like to workshop that. It sounds like an SEC recruiting pitch, to be honest with you. Yeah. When he it's, the norm where it's, warm. it's the norm where it's warm. I've been working on the story with Aaron. It, with, where it's cold. Yeah, I've been working on this story with Aaron Nolan, and one of the people I talked to was his mom. And she would wear a T-shirt like that because, you know, she was anti-Ohio State for a little bit. Not because anything the school is doing. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's further away from the equator than some of his other choices. It's just the norm where it's warm. So anyway, Stephen, it's not like it doesn't happen elsewhere. 
Right. Should it happen in Ohio? And what do you think the effect is on Ohio high school players and the Ohio State program in recruiting Ohio high school players that they don't have full spring football at the moment? Complicated. Yes, I do think it should be in Ohio. I honestly just think it should be everywhere at this point because it's given these warm places, especially places like Texas and California and Georgia and Florida, a ridiculous advantage when it comes to skill position players. Uh, and so it, it, it almost makes the skill position players who are highly rated from the Midwest, guys like Jaden Ballard, Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr., Kyle McCord, uh, Mylon Graham in this 2024 car. It makes them that much more valuable because they're rarer. It helps close the gap with those skill position players. But I think from an Ohio State perspective, what if there was a five-star quarterback? What if Drew Allard didn't, wasn't a late bloomer, right? What if he was a five-star level talent as a sophomore. How much different does that make things for Ohio State? Because then it's not a guy on the other side of the country, like a Dylan Rayola, where you get him early and it's like, you got to get out there to go see that kid. Meanwhile, everybody else is going to see that kid. Meanwhile, Drew Aller lives up 71. You know, it's a two-hour drive. He can get here a little bit more often. And so the chances of with these five-star quarterbacks that you get early, of them maybe flipping somewhere else later in the process – it declines drastically just because they're around the program that much more often. So I understand why Ohio State wants it. The more you can get on the field, the more reps you can get, the quicker that development kind of picks up a little bit. It's why even with these five-star kids from Ohio who get on campus, C.J. Hicks is an elite talent. He had he had to learn how to play football in a way that if C.J. Hicks had grown up in Texas playing the same exact position with the same exact talent, there's some football he wouldn't have had to learn because he had been doing it basically year-round in that same way. So it does benefit Ohio State, and really, more importantly, it benefits the state And these re- as these young kids get recruited. They're not spending the first year of their college careers trying to play catch-up because in some ways they're still trying to learn to play football because they're j- just behind on so many of these reps. You think of C.J. Zach Harrison, you know, uh, uh, Julian Fleming being from Pennsylvania. You compare him to Jackson Smith and Jigba, both five-star talents. One's ready, and then one, both of them are super talented, but one's actually ready to play college football. And I think that's the big difference between elite talent from Ohio and, and just the Midwest and elite talent from around the country is elite from talent around the country is both good enough to play Ohio State football, but also ready to play Ohio State football. Elite talent from the Midwest is sometimes just ready, but it, they have to learn how to play the game. Nathan, what do you think of this? So you're the I, I make, commissioner of the OHSAA. Would you would you go to full spring football next year? So before I answer that, I just want to make sure that the, the message that Brian Hartline was trying to get to these football coaches was not necessarily you guys need to ram through and advocate for full spring football. His point was you guys are allowed to do spring football. How many of you guys are actually utilizing that right now? And some of them would say his point was like, if all you can get is 10 kids or 15 kids, because you got other kids that are doing track and lacrosse or whatever, and they can't do it. You still got to go do it. Like you still need to be trying to maximize that time. That was the message that I got from him more than anything. The advocacy for spring football as a, as a concept was happening more with like Ryan day. Some of the comments that he made the next day trying to push for that. Um, I think I would say, yeah, I think it should be a thing. And I'm saying that as someone who played baseball at a really, really small school where like the corn was like literally the outfield fence Um, where because I've already seen having covered high school sports for a long time, like the conflicts that people think are going to unfold 
because uh, uh, spring sports would then lose athletes to football. Those conflicts are already happening. There's already conflicts between head coaches, between sports who want their kids doing baseball workouts in the fall when they want to be playing football and stuff like that. Like those things are already happening. I I think that if, uh, if by the time somebody's in high school, um, if, if that's the thing they want to focus on. And I I think that there's been some good points made that in a lot of other sports, it is year round. Like you have a year round opportunity, not for some of the outdoor sports like baseball, obviously, but even in baseball, like you have a spring, you have a season in the spring and then there's all the summer baseball you do. And then there's the fall baseball you do until it is too cold. And whereas football, for whatever reason, in so many States, including States I grew up in and worked in Illinois, Indiana, it's all regulated just to the fall Northern States. So, why not open it up to something more formal another time of the year? And the point that I think Heartline and Day are both making is it isn't necessarily that the elite guy will be raised even higher by getting more practices. I think it's about it's about elevating the play in the whole state. It's about making all of Ohio football better, which it's it's like a trickle up effect, right? Like you make all of the football players and make make more good football players at even lower levels in Ohio and it just begins to trickle up how good the f- football in the state is overall and that makes the f- top players either better or seem better so this is a situation where like one person does it so then it's like well I guess we better do it right and I actually the idea that how Ohio has held off as long as it has when all the southern s- states have done it if it was up to me, I would do away. I think I would eliminate spring football everywhere. And I also would get rid of early enrolling and you can show up in June like everybody else. And we're not going to make high school kids stop being high school kids. And I get a little frustrated with football coaches, college coaches, because all they talk about is we love three sport athletes. We love three sport athletes. Oh, they show every graphic in the world about oh, all the best players in the country. They're three sport athletes. They play basketball and baseball and football. They run track and they wrestle and they play football. They're three sport athletes. And by the way, do football year round. So what is it? Because I can't pretend that a kid who wants to play baseball in the spring, you're dropping spring football workouts on top of him. By the way, you know what else he has to do? Go to school. You know what else he might have to do? Have a life. So I, can we let high school kids Be high school kids, because as everything with sports, the minute you make something allowable, it becomes demanded. So, oh, it's spring football. Only 15 kids get get who you can. And then guess what? The coach says, hey, man, this guy came and did spring football workouts and you didn't. Guess who I'm going to start in the fall? But I really want to play baseball. Well, we're having football workouts. What are you going to do? That happens. So I don't know. All these graphics, every football coach in the country shows, three-sport athlete. What is everybody uh, – in Texas and Georgia and Florida and, and Louisiana, they're all three-sport athletes while also doing football 24 hours a day year-round so that they can drop out of high school and enroll in January? Because God forbid you get to be a 17-year-old. What have we done? The goal, it has to be that you have to show up as an 18-year-old freshman ready to play or you're behind? We can't develop you once you get on campus. It's nuts. And by the way, we're not going to pay you. Like uh, some of this stuff, man, the whole industry can collectively cram it. 
because not only are you bringing in teenagers and making them your workforce, now we got an AL, that's great, but now you got to get them in earlier. Guess what? By the way, this is a country that at the moment is like doing away with child labor laws because let's make sure we get 14-year-olds bussing dishes because that'll make us a better country. What are we doing? How is this the norm? And now, by the way, and what am I? I'm a high school coach. You know what high school co- do high school coaches make millions of dollars? No. What do you do? Well, I teach math. All right, what else do you do? Well, in the fall, I coach football. What else do you do? Well, in the spring, I'm the shot put coach. Well, what else? Well, where's your spring football workout, coach? Oh, by the way, the school's probably the school district that is strapped and is trying to buy textbooks. They're going to pay for the spring football coach too, or are you going to do it on your own? You're going to do it on your free time. And by the way, you just had to give a three-year-old who would like to see his dad. What are we doing? This is what we have to do. So like uh, there's a part, I get it, I guess, but also like what, like what are we doing? It started off, Dante Whitner came in as like an unusual two decades ago, comes to Ohio State early. It's like, un- it's like new. Now it's like 25 guys. Oh, well, you know, Denzel Burke came in early. Jordan Hancock didn't. Denzel Burke's ahead. He's going to start as a true freshman. Now you're behind. You're behind if you show up to college in June. Unpaid teenager. And now your coach, what's your coach making? Now your coach is getting yelled at? Now your coach is getting yelled at because they're not doing spring football workouts. Why, why is this? It's the norm where it's warm? Cram your norm, warm. Like I don't, it's Ohio. We're going to maybe allow our kids to be kids a little bit longer. God forbid that they're not ready to be a full-time college football player in September when they're 18. Is this like, is this not a thing? Like, is this, we just have to accept this? Well, Florida did it. Okay. Well, that's it. I guess Ohio's behind. Like we have to have spring football. How are we going to do it? Is Ohio state going to pay out of its football budget for all these coaches to coach an extra season of football? What are the logistical solutions to this beyond why aren't you guys doing spring football and a bunch of high school coaches getting yelled at at a clinic, Nathan? And and I think the coaches association historically has been against this, right? Like as much as Ohio State head coaches have been for it, I don't know that head coaches across the state of Ohio have necessarily been for it. And I I get your sentiment. I would just the two things I would push back on is a having spring football doesn't necessarily preclude guys in those states from playing other sports. There's guys at Ohio state who came from those states who played spring sports, a lot of, a lot of track athletes, uh, especially B the thing you're talking about, about the repercussions. That's what I was getting at before. Like that stuff kind of already happens, but I, I, I think you could argue it sometimes happens disproportionately to football players who, uh, or, or, you know, if, if what about the guy who wants to play baseball in the spring right now, but doesn't go to the non-mandatory fall baseball workouts because he wants to play football. Like there's repercussions are happening that way too. And you're arguing that those are all bad and I understand, but I'm saying that introducing spring football isn't like starting that. It's just, and it would just be another example of a thing that already exists. Sometimes I just want kids to be allowed to be kids. I don't, I don't, Hey, Mr. Prom. So I could go be fourth string in spring football. I don't know, Stephen. Am I just an old man shouting at clouds? Um, sometimes. <laughs> to, Fuck, I talk. Yeah, just overall, yeah, sometimes. I, I, I think there's a balance. Um, I, I see where you're coming from with the kids who want to be kids thing. But 
I do think sometimes we don't give these kids enough credit in their own decision-making. You know, C.J. Stroud missed his own prom because he wanted to. And he's not the only kid who's been like that. So it's, it's, there's a balance there of let these kids be kids, but I, I don't always like that. I, I say like at some point, let these cognitive human beings who in some ways know how to make decisions. Now, they're not perfect because they're still teenagers, obviously, but they do know how to make some decisions, especially since a lot of them are making a decision about their life while a bunch of us are trying to ask questions about them making a decision about their life. So they do have some level of intelligence there to, to be able to make some of these decisions on their own. And I think they deserve the right to be able to make that decision because we have seen it. Basketball has been like this forever where a kid might be playing baseball or running track in the spring, but also every weekend he's traveling around the country playing AAU basketball, football. They already do lifting. So, which is in them. So they're already there at five o'clock in the morning doing a lift and then they go to school all day. And then, Maybe they do something afterward. Maybe they have trainers, or maybe they're going to an open gym for basketball in the spring, or maybe they're going to play baseball or play lacrosse. They're already having these 12, 14-hour days that, to an extent, they signed up for because the option to sign up for it is available. I just think Midwest needs to provide the option. Now, how we handle that option is on the adults. Don't make everything under the sun mandatory and put more pressure on 15, 16, and 17-year-old kids. Just provide them the option that, hey, this is here. If you want to spend 10 extra days working on your ability as a football player, it's actually optional. It doesn't have any consequences if you don't do it. Just like with the early enrollees, yes, they want him to do it, but you know who did an early enrollee? JT Tuimaloa. He didn't even know he was going to school in January. And he got here and he was in the two deep. And now two years later, he's still on the right path. So I just think everything needs to be an option for a 16 and 17 year old when we're talking about these athletes what they do with that option is completely up to them, and it should not be consequences if they don't do the thing that the 35- and 40-year-old coaches want them to do. That's well said. That's probably right. I have a habit of trying to protect people from things they don't need to be protected from, so I might be doing that here. Sound like a parent. Like, don't, like, don't, don't <laughs> let them have the option of spring football. And yeah. Steven's saying, like, well, let them have the option if they want to do it, but just don't go too far with it, Nathan, which probably is right. Yeah, and again, just to get back, like, again, well, the message Heartline was making that night that I heard was like, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Like, maybe it would be a perfect world if this all did revolve around football and they we had a full Southern-style spring football season. That would be the perfect. But the good is what they've given you, which is you do get this seven-on-seven seven time in the spring. So even if you don't have your full team there, just make sure you're using what was there. That was kind of his message to them, was be creative and take advantage of what's in front of you. Okay, fine. You guys be reasonable and thoughtful, and I'll just scream. Buckeye talk. Like in the old day. We did it. We finally uh, did it. Uh, we finally did uh, it. Oh, man. Okay, let's move to Brian Hartline. We got to do this. What should be done about Brian Hartline? Even if criminal charges aren't raised, he's a role model to young men. We all make mistakes, and this was on private property, regardless of the law, but shouldn't he be held to a higher standard? Should it be a fine, demotion, loss of play calling? It seems like odd timing to be rewarding him with more responsibility. That's from the 330. Let me run through three questions here, and then we'll reset it. Andrew from the 330, how will the Brian Hartline situation affect the future recruiting? If I were recruiting against him, it's ammo, especially for the parents. And from the 719, I'm concerned that the Brian Hartline drinking crash event will affect Buckeyes recruiting going forward. Any thoughts on this? Or is it just a big 
nothing burger. So Nathan, for the people who have not been following every aspect of this, you have been doing that for us. Why don't you reset again very quickly what happened? And then you can talk about uh, what Ryan Day, the brief update he gave about the Brian Hartline situation on Thursday night. Then we'll talk about it. Yeah, so it, it, it appears there was a gathering of some sorts uh, at Hartline's property uh, on uh, Saturday night after the spring game spilling into Sunday. There was a 911 call that came in around 1.20 in the morning. Hartline had been driving a utility vehicle side-by-side, side, they call it, uh, had flipped that. When the, when the medics got there, there was him and another guy in the vehicle. Medics got there, were, were treating him. Uh, he admitted to them he had been drinking. He had to be... Uh, you know, the medical determination at that time was he needed to be transported because of the extent of his injuries pretty quickly to the hospital. And um, I guess that's really the extent of it from there. He spent about 36 hours in the hospital, it sounds like, before he was discharged. And the because of the admission of him and other people and some other um, evidence that was collected and or just observed, I guess, by the deputies, uh, that that possibility of alcohol being involved in this is still out there. So it's still being investigated as of yesterday when I talked to Delaware County Sheriff's Office. I'm saying this on um, Friday afternoon and no charges have been filed yet. They, they There may be an update in the week ahead. And, 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 and so again, then you're Thursday under- night, yeah, Thursday night, I, at the, the, the foundation event, uh, I caught up with Ryan Day and asked uh, he said that he's recovering and doing well. I, I followed up asking if there, he knows yet if there's going to be any discipline related to this, um, if he's given any message to the team, if he knows when Ryan uh, Brian Hartline's going to be back at work, and he did, he said no to all of those things. So no real updates yet on his status or or when he'll be back at work. And from information that you've researched, Nathan, the idea of it was on Brian Hartline's private property. It was not on a road. It was not a car. But potentially you still could be could face a person in that this situation could still face a DUI charge potentially for something like that. Not saying that will happen here. Yeah. But on private property doesn't exclude the possibility. Ohio Revised Code does not seem to make a distinction between public and private property. And I know that people jump to the jump to the conclusion like, well, so then the cops can just come on my property anytime and check if I've had a beer before I get on my riding mower or whatever. And that's not the case obviously because this was a situation where a crash happened there was injuries officials were called and that's where i think that that second part gets triggered where then now it becomes a part of the investigatory process so steven the idea of this being used in recruiting right negative recruiting from other schools would you imagine something like this has the possibility of coming up on the recruiting trail and of course it's it's a specific thing but any coach has an off-field incident, and could it have an effect on how that coach, that program is viewed in recruiting? I like how you sped that up because those are very different answers. Well, is it going to come up? Sure. People negative recruit against teams all the time. They're going to find any reason in the world. I mean, they've been doing it with Larry Johnson. His is as simple as, is he going to retire now? So, of course, when you're talking about a potential, you know, liquid courage was involved and somebody got hurt, of course that's going to get used. But is it going to have an impact? I don't know. I, I don't think so. What the, were there any players there? Like we don't. This is information we don't know as of right now. But were there any players there? If the answer to that is no, and this just boils down to a dude, he's a prominent dude, but a guy was at on his own private property in 
did something stupid when Liquid Courage was involved. If that's all this is, then I, there's no ramifications from that from a recruiting standpoint because it's not – now, it is different if there comes to find out that, like, Julian Fleming and Jaden Ballard and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka were all there and then this happens or something like that because then maybe that's – just, Let's just stop right there. We're not even going to – like, they had, like, lists of names where there there weren't players there. There weren't players there. So okay, like, cool. I mean, so cool. like, that, that's not even – like, we can't even throw that out into the world. Then, yeah, that, that, the that would be like, – We don't know. It's, they weren't there. That would seem to be the only question a parent would have about this situation. Why would you do this around my kid? But there's no kids there, so this is not really a thing that's going to have any level of impact or ramifications from that standpoint. Because the police report listed who was there, which is how we know Justin Fry was there, right? right? They had like other people there. So this is happening in a context. So I do think there's two separate things here. One is the personal, the coach involved, and the other is the program, the culture, right? Georgia had a staff member drunk drive a car and kill a player. Now, tragically, the staff member was also killed. And that was not a coach, but it was somebody employed by the Georgia football program. A player died in a car driven unsafely by a staff member in a world where Georgia has had multiple incidents of people in and around their program being cited for speeding and racing on roads. So I'm not, well, I am what about it? I, I, I mean, like sometimes what abouting is a is an easy way to get out of thing. Oh, other people make things too. But I think there is a comparison to be made here. And what Steven's talking about is if you're a parent, is like, is my child potentially in danger if, I, if, if you go to this place? Like George, and that to me, again, tragically, 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 the staff member was killed along with the player who was killed. And it wasn't a coach, but I do think there remains. I don't know that Georgia has still answered enough of like, is there a cultural problem here that there's a thing that's happening that is the norm that is allowed that people are aware of and don't do anything about that puts players in dangerous situations. I, I think that is a real question that to my knowledge has not been satisfactorily answered. This doesn't seem to be that, but you have a, Coach, an individual coach, Nathan, who in a a position of increased responsibility, another coach there. Listen, people are allowed to get together on private property and have a drink. I mean, people do it every single day. But the decision making involved of somebody in responsibility seems like from the outside, from the facts presented as they are, Brian Hartline made some poor decisions that night. So what does that mean? I don't think it's nothing. And just like I, I remember, you know, back in the day when. This is so long ago now, but when Zach Smith was the receivers coach at Ohio State and Jed Fish was the receivers coach at Michigan, and they would get like in Twitter wars with each other. Jed Fish is the head coach at Arizona now, and Zach Smith is a podcast host. And they would get in fights about stuff, about everything. Like every little thing comes up. Um, I am almost curious, Nathan, if somebody publicly says like, well, I don't know, right? Couldn't you almost see like a – some program or coach being like, hey, well, at least you can trust your players with our coaches. I don't we don't have proof that it's like a cultural problem at Ohio State or anything. I we have some proof that Brian Hartline seems like maybe made a bad decision and he really matters to this program. And I don't know that it's completely gone, Nathan. I don't know if it's like, hey, everybody makes mistakes. What are you going to do? I, th- I think it could be a little bit more than that. And I also wonder what Ryan Day in the end will do. I, I 
just pure speculation from the outside, okay? Early in my career covering this team, an Ohio State player got a DUI. Jim Trestle suspended him for a quarter, one quarter of play. And I thought that was not enough. And I like had a thing with Trestle in a news conference about it. Typically, when players around when people around programs have a DUI, if if he would if anybody would be charged with that, I think typically there are ramifications for that. So police charges affect situations like this. There's the behavior, and then there's the consequences of the behavior. My guess would be, Nathan, if he gets charged with something that that there will be some Ryan Day will apply some punishment, which could be a game suspension or something like that. I would not be yeah. surprised like that if there are charges. Yeah, that, that's my assumption too. And listen, kind of to get to your greater point, you know, proof is really critical in the court of law. It's kind of secondary in the court of public opinion, and uh, or it's almost meaningless in the court of public opinion, uh, as we've seen in so many different ways. And like, so whether this is really that serious of an infraction, and people have their their difference of his opinion on differences of opinion on that, why why did you invite this? It seems like again, we don't know all the facts, so I, we almost should just reserve all judgment on that until it comes in. But if 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 the if the facts if 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 it does lead towards where it could lead, um. I think there would be, I don't think it would be the thing that capsizes his recruiting because he's been so good at it for so long. And, and, and listen, other coaches have had alcohol related incidents, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Tony LaRussa in baseball, like, you know, there's guys, it's, it's not uncommon, unfortunately. Um, then, it, but does it cost him one guy somewhere? Does it mean you have to work harder to get guy? I don't know. Um, it's just why, why it, it, I think if I were Ryan Day, I would be, um, just irked that you've you've invited something into like into the conversation that yeah. wasn't there before and didn't need to be there. Yeah, I do agree with that. It's like now they got to deal with this, and they shouldn't have to be dealing with this right now. Right at a time when you just got a promotion. Yes, uh, and it's one of these things you cannot discipline teenage players, unpaid teenage players, more harshly than you discipline highly paid adults. And for instance, Carlos Hyde had a situation. There was an allegation of something that happened in a club. And then it was withdrawn. Charges were never filed. And he was still suspended for three games anyway by Urban Meyer for conduct unbecoming the Ohio State program. Right? Marcus Baugh had an underage possession, got suspended for a game for that. Right? Like there, there's a history. And I don't – we have not talked about it on this podcast I don't know what to do with it. And it is an incredibly complicated societal issue right now. But Jocelyn Wint and Amir Reap got kicked off the football team after an assault, a sexual assault charge that was then litigated in court and they were found innocent. And Ryan Clark had them on his podcast found correct, found not guilty. Ryan Clark had hit them on his podcast and the specifics of what happened in that situation came out. It's very specific of what, like, all the – and then it's like, well, what – how do you adjudicate that? It's a, it's a court proceeding. But those guys, right, in the end, they did go to trial. They were found not guilty. Their football careers at Ohio State are over. I'm not – I'm just trying to find instances of there are ramifications for people without – charges filed without being found guilty of something. There are 
ramifications. We have seen that historically at Ohio State and a lot of other places. And often when that happens, it's like, hey, man, like that's like way to like sort of keep control of your program and make sure that if you don't up, if you don't live up to the standards of the program, there are consequences. And as you said, Nathan, those are related to the standards of society and as they are determined by the police and district attorneys and courts of law and juries, but they're not the same thing. So not guilty in a court of law, no charges filed does not mean no big deal. So we have to keep that in mind. You cannot, Ohio State has, well, the Winton Reap thing just happened. We, we did, it's incredibly complicated. It's like you want to, we're in a world where you want to believe people, but also you're innocent until proven guilty. And it's very complicated. And in the end, the facts are those were two football players who were removed from the team and were found not guilty. Those are the facts. This is a completely different situation, but my my guess would be Ryan Day will do something, regardless of whether charges are filed or not. But whether charges are filed and what they are will also help determine, I think, the nature of it. So it's not great. Like we can't we can't just be like, oh well, well what are you gonna do? Because regular people, right? Regular people, you make a bad decision, everybody makes bad decisions. But the higher your profile, the more responsibility you have the more consequences for your bad decision. He's not going to get fired. He's not going to lose his career, right? Based on this, this is, you know, this is a thing, but I don't think it's nothing. So we'll see what happens. It's, and and again, just again, it's, it's, it's a frustrating thing, I think, for the program at a time when you're finishing the spring. I know that, you know, other than maybe things are going on their offensive line mostly a positive day there that you're like going into the off season you got the nfl draft where you're gonna have like three first round picks but then you just this gets introduced and i know that i'm the one writing stories about it we're the ones posting stories about it so we control how much it's out there to some extent but it's legitimate news so now you've got this sort of distracting from what would otherwise be a lot of positive things going on in your program i'll never forget this i was covering we used to cover the memorial golf tournament in Columbus at cleveland.com. I used to care about that. It was like, who cares if there's a golf tournament in Columbus and some stinking golfer that you don't care about the other 51 weeks of the year. So we don't cover it anymore, but I was covering, I used to cover it every year. And one year we're sitting there in the media room and the lead story, the lead story on one of the local newscasts is that Jack Muhort and Jake Stoneburner peed on a building. Because they were at the memorial and they had to go to the bathroom and they couldn't like find a thing. And they just went to the bathroom outside and like the cops were like, got them for public urination. And it led the six o'clock news in the 16th largest media market in the country. It led the news. They did a thing that I don't know that there is a person in the world, particularly some people that haven't done that. It led the news and there were ramifications. So like this is many steps past that. So let's just remember, like players are under a microscope at a place like this because of people like us. And you can't pretend that the coaches aren't going to be under even a, a more biggerest microscope because they're adults and they get money. Okay. Two more things. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Doug, Nathan, and Steven via texter at 614-350-3315. We keep talking about this, Nathan. I'm going to ask it again because people keep wondering about it, and it's a good question to keep asking, and I don't know that we have more answers, but just because we don't have an answer doesn't mean you can't ask it more than once. From the 419, can you give an update on who's in the portal on the offensive line? I think like they mean in the world, not Ohio State guys in the portal to leave. I was going to ask why they're not recruiting from the transfer portal, but I think the answer could be easily that there's just no one good enough. I would love some understanding either way on what's going on in the coaches' heads about this and if there is a solution. So I will say the the Friday College Football Survivor Show that is up, Shahan J. Haraj and I went through four other programs. We did Ohio State on the earlier podcast this week, Ohio State, Georgia, Texas, and Clemson. The one that we just put up is Penn State, Florida State, USC – and Tennessee and how they went through spring football. And Nathan, at the end of spring football, I watched Lincoln Riley's half an hour news conference. He was like, yeah, we're going on the portal for offensive line and defensive line depth. We need more. At a place that USC is already going to start two portal guys on the offensive line, they might start all four defensive line guys as portal guys. They are portaling their portals off at USC, and they're going back for more. Because they thought they had a third offensive line guy lined up, second team all SEC guy from Florida, and he had an injury, and I think it basically has to retire from football. And so, like, they need more. And Lincoln Riley's going back. So I don't know, Nathan, if there are guys, but I know Lincoln Riley's still going to be looking. So, what do we think? Do we think Ohio State should be, will be looking, and who might be there? I think they'll they'll be looking. I think they'll be looking and hoping that the the guys who do get in the portal are guys who could potentially push to be at the top of a depth chart. I, as previously stated, have have expressed skepticism that that's happened so far. Um, but like one of the most prominent guys that has gotten in there is Cortland Ford, a guy from USC, a part time starter last year, was a full time starter in twenty twenty one. 66305 so he's got the size he had a 63.6 PFF grade again last year is not even a full-time starter it was under 60 in 2021 when he was a full-time starter uh Caleb Etienne from Oklahoma State another guy 67330 he started every game at left tackle last year 51 overall PFF grade um again those aren't be all and all but we're making is he going to BYU okay now take him off the board then Matthew Wackoff from Texas A&M he was a guy who started at center last year 66330 another guy like 52.5 overall pff grade um i know he was visiting somewhere kentucky maybe was he the one visiting kentucky um i i think that's correct um notre dame guy caleb johnson was a four-star prospect so at least you got that that's kind of a rarity among guys who are going in the portal even be a four-star prospect six seven but only 295 he was number 312 prospect he's a guy from florida so you would think that maybe he heads back down south um there's a handful of other guys uh but nobody that like jumps off the page at you in 
the way that guys who have ended up being important transfer uh, additions for Ohio State have jumped off the page at you. That Caleb Johnson guy that you just mentioned, he just, as we record this on Friday, I think he's new in there. Like he was in the Notre 19th, Dame for two years. He I think he like didn't play. I'm mm-hmm. not sure he right. he played like one game. Like he's yeah, right. like he's right. a, he's a recruit in the 300s. He's a four star recruit. He's coming from Notre Dame. He's a tackle, and he's like in two years basically did not play college football because he couldn't get right. on the field. So right. he, so he's that means you're not even a two if you're not on the field it, at all and you're healthy. It's indicative. So like the point that's like it's like a Zen Mahalski, but even less experience. And the reason that we think Ohio State might be in the portal is because it's like, oh, I don't know. They so the point that there's not a lot in there stands true until there's a guy in there. All it takes is like two guys to change it. It's like, oh, there's like two power five starters, two power five tackle starters, one in the portal. Holy moly, Lincoln Riley and Ryan Derry are going to be punching each other in the throat trying to get those guys. But they're not there right now. But spring football is not over everywhere. Spring football is not over everywhere. So Bama, LSU, Washington, some other places that we you got to let let it see. But that's the main point. Good question. Keep asking. We'll keep updating. You know, you can go to 247, type in 247 Sports Transfer Portal. They have a great searchable database of everybody who's in there. You can search by position. You can search by whether they're committed or not. Like you can go, you can bookmark it. You can track it yourself because I do think it's worth keeping an eye on. All right, last one. This is an Ohio State, Michigan thing from the 513. This is from the survey. We did a big Ohio State, Michigan survey through those three pods this week. But I'd love your thoughts. I would put, uh, this person voted, I would hate a Michigan-Ohio State title game because of the rivalry. The winner of that national championship game, if it, if it happens, barring a rematch in the title game, would have bragging rights forever. I don't care if Michigan beats Ohio State for the next 30 years in the regular season. We still beat them in the national championship. I hate that because I love the rivalry and feeling the hate every minute of every day. And what if we lose? Now, everything I mentioned will be true for Michigan fans, and I would hate that for the rest of my life. Thanks, Alex in Cincinnati. Steven, I am fascinated by the idea of it would be so big, it would trump everything else in the rivalry in a way that would lessen the impact of all the things that gets people wound up. Because it's like you would have that in your back pocket. The idea that it would almost be too big, it would supersede everything else. What do you think of that idea from the texture? I agree. Because for a trophy, for the trophy in the game, it it trumps, it's the ultimate trump card in a situation like that. And I don't think, you said something when we were doing the Ohio State Michigan pods. I can't remember which one because we did three of them. Go check them all out. They were already good. But you said something about that you weren't on board with it. And now you're a lot more on board with it heading into this year. I think everybody feels like that because I don't know if we were mentally ready to wrap our heads around the idea of it because we weren't in a 12 team playoff spot where it's like, well, of course it's on the table. They might just be on different sides of the brackets and it might just happen. I don't know if mentally we were ready for it to happen in a world where we're still in a 14 playoff because the only conference that had gotten multiple teams in in the same year, the SEC. So the fact that the big 10 did that was already impressive. Now that we've, been some pick sixes and a 50-yard field goal away from it happening. I think we're all coming into this offseason where we both we all think Michigan and Ohio State will be pretty good. Our minds are already there. We're already thinking there's a chance in Houston these two teams might be playing for a national championship. So because we're already there, you can wrap your head around it a little bit more. But the fear is still there because it doesn't matter if 
whoever, if they do play for a national championship this year, whoever wins, it doesn't matter who's leading the series anymore because we, whoever won, won the game that won the national championship. And I don't know. I don't want to say it makes the game before that irrelevant, but it takes a little bit of shine off of it. I think people underestimate how much in the moment, in the three hours, in the three hours and 15 minutes on that Saturday when you are on the field with your rival, how much you don't care about anything else other than what's right in front of you. And when people line up, the history exists, Nathan, but when Ohio State fans and Michigan fans get fired up for a noon kickoff on the last Saturday in November, I don't think they have the all-time record that Michigan leads because they had a big advantage in the 1900s, 1910s. They don't have that like written on their hand. I don't think they know the overall record of the series in that moment. Yeah, you have the the visceral, hey, we beat you. No, hey, you beat us kind of thing. And you have the visceral, hey, I think we're good. Hey, I'm worried. I think you're good. I think you're not good. I think we're going to kick your butt. All those things. But there's a part of me, because I think this happens too, like with the 12-team playoff, like, hey, the 12-team playoff, it's going to be like, well, they're both going to get in the playoff. So nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to care. People still care in the moment, I think, Nathan, more than they give themselves credit for. So I think this, what this texture is presenting, Nathan, I think maybe like in discussion, the other 364 days of the year, I understand what they're saying. I think Ohio State and, get in, and Michigan are going to hate each other every time they play, especially in the regular season when it's in one of their home stadiums. And I, and I don't think like a crazy who would have fought at national title game will will take that away, at least in the moment on for those three and a half hours. So where I grew up in central Illinois, um, there's these two towns uh, right next to each other, Georgetown and Westville. And they play, it was a very similar thing, like last game of the regular season, I think, um, every year for this thing called the Coal Bucket Trophy. And it dates back to like the, I don't even know how many years, many, many decades where, you know, there were these, there was this coal, these coal mines that set between these two towns and there would be, you know, parents from both of those places, alums from both those places working in those coal mines. And you'd be like betting their paychecks on the outcome of that football game. And when I was covering that game in the nineties, the coal mines were defunct and people weren't betting money like that on the games anymore, but it was still like the hugest small town high school football game in that county every year because those people it's been passed down and they they hate each other that much for that day especially like it's it's a huge it really is I've never thought this about Ohio State Michigan I really think there though when the stakes are so much lower if you went one and eight but your only win was against Westville if you were Georgetown or vice versa there are people who would actually almost care that much so that 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 emotion will last. Now, what I do think this person, I I also just sort of disagree with the idea that a national championship game would then eradicate all of the results that come after and that people would, what, what, what people are forgetting. And I was making this argument last year before we got into a situation where they could both make the playoff was that a new normal is coming. Like it's the, the perspective on this game is going to change. It just is like, it's, they're going to be more rematches. They're going to be Big Ten championship game rematches. They're going to be playoff rematches. It's going to be a semi-regular occurrence. And that's going to affect how people look at this a little bit. And I think that in itself is maybe what this person's pushing back on more than what that actually turns into. You know what I'm saying? I think they, they're, they're, they're already maybe um, 
mourning the loss of the all or nothing that is wrapped up in this one game more than worried that losing or winning a national championship game changes what the results are in other years or how people perceive them. And I think we've had conversations here along the lines of, well, what if Ohio State lost to Michigan, but then went on and won the national championship, but then Michigan would be like, hey, you won the national championship, but you couldn't beat us. That, okay, well, someone wins that head-to-head national championship, and then the next year, the other team wins in the regular season and is like, hey, cool, you won on the neutral side thing, but when it really mattered in the rivalry, you couldn't beat us here, right? I just, in the end, I would say, don't underestimate your hate, Buckeye Talk. I I am pretty sure you still will feel it on Saturday. And if it changes the context the rest of the year, as you said, Nathan, the context is going to change anyway. We have to understand that the discussion, the discussion will change a little bit, but I don't think the three and a half hours is going to change. By the way, the NCAA, as we're recording this past the rules of like, they're going to not stop the clock after first downs, which will shorten games a little bit. and won't be three and a half hours anymore. It'll be like three hours and 10 minutes and you'll get like two fewer possessions a game. So whatever. I kind of don't like it, but I get why they're doing it. Okay. Rapid fire is done. Wasn't that rapid. We appreciate you guys making us part of your Buckeye talk, uh, part of your Buckeye experience here at Buckeye talk. We already recorded this, the Monday pod. We are predicting where we think the Ohio state players will be taken in the 2023 NFL draft, which starts on Thursday, multiple first round guys, multiple day two guys. So go listen to that. We run through everybody. And then the plan on Tuesday is to do a full NFL draft mock draft with Ohio state people, with Cincinnati Bengals people, with Cleveland Browns people, all the people we have covering football at cleveland.com. We're going to do that, bring that to everybody on Tuesday. And then we're also going to make sure I didn't use every single rapid fire question we got from tech subscribers. Cause I saved some for round two next week, because we know you don't want a whole week of draft coverage because you actually care the most about this current team of Ohio State Buckeyes. So we'll make sure we give you a dose of that next week as well. We'll also have some stories about the draft. Make sure you're reading those in the week ahead. But for now, thanks to you guys for uh, indulging us once again for Nathan Baird and for Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.